Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So what are we here for? What are we going to do? Where are you going to take us? It's your show. Great. Basically, um, I am about to start writing the next episode of my Wonderland series, which is yes. about sex and gender, mm-hmm. um, which I've been wanting to kind of think and research and talk about for a very long time, since like 2016 or something. It's always been discourse I've been kind of ambiently aware of and interested in. Um, and so my idea with this episode is that because I'm kind of like skeptical how much meaningful information you can drive from social science inquiry especially how easy it is to like bias research and stuff like that i wanted to make the like majority bulk of my research for this episode be talking to queer people themselves and doing kind of long-form interviews where i ask them about their experiences and their perspectives um and try to kind of talk to as many different people i can with different points of view and use that as the basis of um, kind of, yeah, the, the research for the episode. So what I got from that is that you think I'm queer. No. So <laughs> so uh, uh, some of these people that I've reached out to, uh, obviously, given the nature of your channel, have been people that have also, you've, you've spoken with in the past as well at some point. So like I spoke to April, I spoke to Richie, I spoke to Elle, and I spoke to Phil. Um, mm-hmm. And along with, I guess, nine other people that are like more personal friends. Um, and so I've been like watching a lot of your videos kind of as like, um, or your previous interviews as preparation for when I was going to speak with one of them, just because I don't want to be asking a bunch of redundant things. Even though like I've, I've generated a list of around like 50-ish questions that I'm asking to everyone to kind of oh, get, wow. get the same shape of, or like rather try to see like where people's experiences line up versus where they differ and where they sit on the rainbow and stuff like that. Um but I just wanted to do some like background research. So I was watching your interviews with them. And then I figured it would kind of be interesting. I've been speaking to some cis people also, because I think that's an equally important aspect of the conversation. Like, what does my very normie, non-online, non-politicized friend, what does she casually think about these issues, given that she's like in very liberal circles and yeah. is never really um, at the forefront of her mind necessarily. And same thing with like just some like male conservative friends that I have that are equally like, oh, whatever, I don't want to think about this. Um, I think those perspectives are also weirdly important because if you're just focusing on queer people, then that's also biasing the picture. Um, so I thought it'd be mm. cool to talk to you because you've been doing these conversations for such a long time and you've spoken to like hundreds of different uh, queer people and transitioners and detransitioners and stuff like that. So I thought you would be an interesting resource um, in terms of having lots of generalized knowledge on the subject maybe. And it also kind of seemed interesting to me that I don't think you've no one's ever flipped the script on you before and asked for your perspectives and your experiences on this topic. Every once in a while I go off, but generally, yeah, I'm I'm a (laughs) passive conductor of stories from one source to another, but language. It's curious that you use the terms queer people and cis people. So Mm -hmm. what are those, what do those terms mean? And why do you adopt that language? Cause that, that, that is a, 
particular framework that's already you've already established a a framework which i i need to yeah. inquire so i understand like what what that what that means for you um i i guess i like to me queer is just the catch all term for like anyone who falls into the lgbtqi plus category under that rainbow umbrella to me queer seems like a pretty generalized accepted term um so you could just be bisexual or something and that would be enough to call you queer okay um and then i yeah i don't know if i'd like directly contrast that with cis but i guess i mean like cis hat like just your no normal average if you're not if you're not doing any of the queerness then you're by default a cis hat i guess okay. so that would be the, the inverse um okay not that i love that language but like it's it has a job and we all know what i'm referring to when i say yeah. that you know but when it comes to gender and sexuality, there's a split between the normal and the irregular, the uh, not normal, than the mm -hmm. queer. Mm -hmm. And what constitutes the category of normal? Um, I would say that's like if you um, are born non-intersex, let's start with, you're born either male or female. Um, so you don't have like an innate kind of sexed deviance or irregularity, you could say. Um, and then you're attracted to people of the opposite sex and you don't kind of have any experience of dysphoria playing your gender or sex role in society. Okay. How does, this is kind of Socratic, but I need to understand where you're coming from. How does being attracted to the opposite sex make one normal? Like what, on what basis does that normality reside? Um, on the basis of like, I think reproduction in terms of like functional utility, that's why we have this sexual dimorphism to begin with. Um, and so I think you're, you're kind of right in pointing out that like, th I think it's very normal for women to have a sexuality that's like slightly more fluid than men. So maybe like, the, your average normal woman is like mostly attracted to men, but like can kind of see herself like maybe she's a Kinsey one or a two. So maybe that bisexuality thing is like a little bit loose just because um, you can, I think there's different degrees of like sexual flexibility when you compare men and women. Um, and I think even if women is, or, or woman is like slightly attracted to other women or could do that, that's still kind of in, in that 80, 20 cluster of, I, I guess that's why I'm zooming out. It's like, well, if 80% if of the population is acting this sort of way over time, that's the normal bundle. And then the 20% is doing something different. Okay. Yeah. So normal sex has to do with using sex or participating in sexual interactions that are in accordance with the purpose of the sexual organs. But yeah, that doesn't and it's, it's, oh, yeah, sorry. encapsulate the uh, reproduction doesn't encapsulate the totality of sexuality or normal sexuality. There's, yeah. And I, and I see normal without any um, like value judgment there. Normal isn't like standard or like, you know, yeah. expected, you could say. But yeah, yeah. it's not um, a bad well, thing you, to be deviant in the slightest. You brought up the word queer and queer has a political term or a political aspect of it, which is to intentionally destabilize and disrupt any sort of hegemonic or normal or regular meaning. So queer is a political project, um, mm. e.g. queer theory. 
I guess I don't think when I think of the term queer, I don't think of it as having necessarily externalized political consequences affixed to it. I, I mean, I don't know the etymology of the term, but when I'm using it, I just mean it to refer to like anyone yeah. under the rainbow umbrella. Yeah. And just to push back, yeah, the rainbow umbrella, it does like after you get past B, it's already no longer homosexual. Trans doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily mean homosexual. Queer can mean if I decided to wear a ponytail and dye my hair pink and identify as queer and I call uh, and I use they them pronouns. I'm queer. Like it has nothing to do. It's all fashion. It's all politics. There's no inherent sexual deviancy or sexuality involved in this. It's pure, pure fashion. And then I get to go to the pride parades and I get to go along and just have kind of, it's a social category. It's no longer a sexual category. And then transgender is a different category than lesbian, gay, and bisexual. Transgender has to do with one's perceived notion of, of their own identity or how they wish to be perceived with their identity. You can be gay and nobody knows you're gay. There, mm -hmm. there, there's a flamboyant gay stereotype or archetype maybe where, you know, this uh, people will act as though they're gay and you can gaydar, you know, really easily. And then there's other more subtle forms of homosexuality, but homosexuality in and of itself doesn't have a character um, signifier to it, but queer does. Queer is, is a term that that is used where you see these like male lesbians who do nothing to transition at all other than maybe wear pink or something going on these female dating apps, calling themselves a lesbian and, you know, hunting for that which they wish to have, which is a heterosexual relationship dressed up in the finery of a homosexual weirdness stuff. So that whole rainbow thing, it, 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 there's so many different cat. It's queered itself in that it, there's no, the categories themselves aren't, you can't line them up and straighten them out because LGB is different than T, which is different than two spirit and queer and plus intersex has nothing to do with any of that stuff. It has nothing to do with sexuality. It's about sex, uh, as in, you know, biological sex so most uh, intersex people don't even want to be associated with this weirdness stuff mm -hmm. it's purely biological it's purely material and it's purely a medical issue that they have transgender mm -hmm. is kind of half medical um half psychological and half social and personality half 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 so that that's yeah. that's the lay of the land for me when we talk about the difference between the cis hets and then the rainbow coalition so I guess like what um, catch-all language then do you think is preferable to kind of get that um, the group that the, the, the uh, LGBTQI plus is invoking, even if there is maybe differences in terms of what they're about or what their needs are, um, it just in that they represent some deviance from the norm, shall we say, um, and that can be measured many different ways. And then even to your point of like, um, there's some of the, like there's always contentions around how much do you want to have queer crossover into the land of also encompassing um kink or paraphilias and stuff like that oh. because what you're describing before yeah. of the um like the the more autogynophilic aspects yeah. of uh, identities it's kind if of I have, in both if i have a thing for my um close female friend um to, to have her wear a certain article of clothing 
Like there's just a certain article of clothing that's very important for me to have her wear. Um, does that put me in the rainbow group? No, I don't think so. Because I have some form of thing that, that is approaching kink or fetish. Does that put me in the group? Like no. does, do, does certain activities that are not... Um, uh, well... I don't want to, it can get pretty, I'm trying to think of like, kind of like safe kind of things to bring up, but things that deviate from the norm of sexual copulation, which I think is aimed at copulation. And then on top of that, or through that, or with that is aimed towards sustaining and developing intimacy, deep intimacy with uh, your other partner. So within the category of, I going to get rid of the cis, the cis part, but within the category of monogamous heterosexual, there's the activity of, uh, of being close and being in synchronicity with somebody using the, our bodies to celebrate each other, to worship each other, to, to, um, maintain each other and to love each other. Like there's this process mm -hmm. of love that's going on. So beyond the cis, I would get rid of the cis. I would put mono hetero. Like that, that would be the standard or, um, yeah, not even like normal, but that's the standard on which, uh, the most stable civilizations rest is What, what is the mono? Oh, monogamous. Okay. Monogamous. Yeah. Uh, mono. But, but we're already so far away from that in our culture that it could be the case that the rainbow flag or the rainbow coalition began with the deviation, not from heterosexuality, but from monogamy. Yeah, because that's the question too. Like, could, would could you like? And I don't have answers here. If you could argue that poly people should be under the queer umbrella or something, like you can start getting really creative. They but like it that. all depends on on what your baseline expectations are. Going in. back to that, like, um, should a bisexual woman constitute queer? Or when it's like, well, to what extent is that kind of something to be expected or not? Or right. somebody like Alo would probably argue, well, most people are, right, and we're going to mean like monogamy is this artificially constructed thing, and polyamory is the default. So you can like, I think it's. Um, it really easily gets lost in terms of different people's interpretations of like what constitutes normal, right? Yeah. And cultural expectations and cultural influences. And I'm sure I don't have any research on this at hand, but I'm sure that homosexuality and heterosexuality are to a certain extent influenced by cultural expectations. Mm -hmm, Especially sure. if you pump your schools full of gay propaganda, you're probably going to have like more and more people identifying as gay which is mm -hmm. what we've been seeing over the past uh, five years in colleges. Yeah. Yeah. The society can definitely influence people's identities yeah, <laughs> more yeah. so than I think um, progressives want to lend credence to. Well, so there's this really interesting relationship between this thing that we call identity and then this thing called gender and sexuality. Mm -hmm. Right. Gender, I think, is more closely uh, closely re related to identity than sexuality is. But because there is, uh, let's just say, negatively, well, positively, there is expectations. There have been cultural expectations for certain sexual behaviors, standards, norms, mores around sexuality. That creates the category of the outsider or the the not the people who are, uh, participate in sexualities that's not. That, that's beyond the norm. So probably the largest category of that would be uh, lesbians and gays. Bisexuals can, I don't, I don't understand the bisexual thing. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of like a, not having a preference or 
just being horny all the time and not caring, but I don't know. Like, how do you, how do you have a bisexual monogamous relationship, like a long-term bisexual relationship? Your other person only has one sexuality. So you're either going to live a gay life or a straight life when you settle down and... Yeah, I think the idea is just supposed to be about who you could be attracted to or see yourself falling in love with, right? So bisexuality is a potential. It's not, um, unless unless you well, just have I, constant sexual interactions. I feel like it's so long as you've, um, you know, felt the capacity to either, if you've loved both men and women or if you've slept with both men and women, then like, that to me seems, you've, yeah. well, you've actualized both of those potentials, right? Yeah. And and if it's assumed that you will continue to participate in multiple sexual uh, activities with yeah. multiple sexual partners, then bisexuality uh, is a viable term. Um, but if you take that off the table, I don't think that it means anything. Like because you you I think could so, because you could be watching you could be with your husband or wife, but watching a movie. And if you're bisexual, oh. then you're going to be both watching oh. a movie, being like, "Oh, he's hot, she's hot." Like it's just your capacity oh, okay. to be attracted to somebody. Okay. I don't think it's about your future. Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> sexual well relations. Put, okay, interesting. Well put. So uh, sexuality having to do with arousal or desire, not necessarily towards the other aspect of sexuality, which I brought up, which I need to bring up, like, which is missing from the conversation. What is the norm of sexuality? There's a cultural norm and which culture, and you can look through history at different formulas that different cultures have um, aspired to or instituted polyamory, polygamy, um, very rare, very rare. It's polyandry where a woman mm -hmm. has more than one male and it's very very rare and it only happens if i call, recall correctly in, in in circumstances where resources are very very limited and usually the woman is sharing brothers so the mm -hmm. uh the gametes or like the 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 evolution game or the sexual uh, selection game is working out in the favor of the men because they're both passing on their their genes and they're both putting resources, their work into their own offspring. Um, mm -hmm. but I think in, and then there's monogamy, uh, and yeah, and then I guess monogamy, can be heterosexual or homosexual, but because homosexuals don't reproduce, like I, I, they can't be the cornerstone of a civilization unless you have technology, mm -hmm. I guess. So in the natural environment, in a in natural historical environment, there's either going to be one man with one woman, one man with many women, one woman with many men, or many men and many women getting together. But who raises the children in in that context? Collectively, it would seem. Maybe. But there's always going to be grifters. That's the problem. Like, you're just giving this kid over to whom and who has actual attachment to them, who actually goes the distance with this person. There's going to require a lot of selflessness from more than one person or a little bit of selflessness from a bunch of people to, to get that child, the resources that they need and then to grow them up, which it just seems really messy to me. Maybe Ayla's kind of right, but I think it's right in a way like Ayla's, if she did say the statement that polyamory is the natural state of life and uh, monogamy is is the exception or the cultural construct but polyamory i don't think can scale um it's too messy you can't really have organized societies you can't be you're going to be i don't think it can scale i don't see how it can scale i think it's just too messy 
to, to yeah, really develop sense. deep um, relationships with uh, the, the, the child, with the mother and the father, those relationships are psychologically empowering. I'm sure that you know people who come from so-called broken homes and people who come from so-called stable homes. And the more stable home probably has deeper long-term relationships with the mother and the father, at least one, or maybe a mother and a mother, mother and father. But like when you look at somebody who's pretty stable from the get-go, they usually have been treated well by a mother and a father or have really deep relationships with them. But I might be wrong mm -hmm. about that. I'm kind of just riffing. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's kind of, you can get lost. Um, the, the, the question of what is normal and how much of this is nature versus nurture is kind of like an endless conversation point, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if, if sexuality is purposed towards reproduction and intimacy, then it changes the landscape of what we want. Um, from sexuality. But if it's not purposed towards intimacy, it's purposed towards, let's just say, pleasure. If all sexuality is, is for pleasure, and it has no direct tie to reproduction or to intimacy, long-term intimacy, then it could be anything it wants. The, sexuality can, we have tons of sexual energy, um, and we're human beings, so we can hack a lot of different things. But without, but the the question is, what is the purpose of this? What do we want the purpose to be? And then looking empirically, how is it best organized? How is it best repressed and uh, allowed to be expressed? That's where it starts to make sense, this whole conversation about gender, sexuality, etc. Um, but without that, it's just, it's a huge morass of mess. And then you have a lot of people, like what my research is, if you can call it research, is about watching these people who are damaged mm -hmm. struggle with their gender, struggle with their identity, struggle with their sexuality, um, and then try to figure out what is the anchor for my sexuality, for my gender. And it inevitably, with the detransitioners, it's inevitably that my sexuality, my gender, my identity isn't just about me. It's about developing a strong, lasting relationship with, with somebody else. It's about serving someone else. So my gender is about plugging into the world in a way where people can kind of read me in a way and I can kind of read other people in a way that the, uh, the friction of working with strangers is lessened because we have like this basic stereotypical pattern of male and female. Um, but the sexual act, the sexual organs uh, are about connection. The penis is about connecting to the vagina. The, the breasts are about connecting the mother to the baby. They're not about looking in a certain way or being a certain way. It's about actually connecting with another human being and mm -hmm. when we start to mess around with those what's acting out i think a lot of the time is somebody's desire to not connect or or damage in their ability to connect or having been damaged by a wrong connection such as sexual abuse or emotional abuse inevitably it's it's a manifestation of that now there probably are certain people whose gender dysphoria is such it's baked in and it has something to do other than sexuality, other than abuse, stuff, those are very rare. They're, they are kind of the exception in this day and age to what transgender means. Transgender means it's a body modification cult, largely speaking, about projecting one's identity or desired identity onto the world. And it inevitably has to do with a um, just a, a, a disorder of development of, of understanding what sexuality is for. But because our society won't put any expectations on sexuality, 
anything goes. You can do whatever you want. There's no inherent meaning to the sexual act. And then you have a bunch of people who don't have any, or are completely lost with regards to what this thing is all about. And then they f fall through the cracks. And then a lot of other, last point, a lot of other mental disorders by the, by the medical industry, a lot of these mental disorders, a lot of abuse, schizophrenia, bipolar uh, disorder, uh, cluster B uh, personality disorders, autism uh, spectrum disorder. All those things are now being put under the bag of this thing called gender. And then these kids or these young adults are being put through this system that grinds them up um, because, and it doesn't actually help them with all these other issues with them. It gives them this kind of like this simulacra of the body that they think that they want rather than actually dealing with their, their actual problems, which I yeah. think a lot has to do with connection to other people. Yeah, that makes sense. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible Berry Chantilly cake and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Um, so my plan for this was to run you through the same questions, the interview questions I've been giving to everyone else. If that sounds kind of interesting, yeah, let's fun. do it. Popcorn. Um, awesome. The first half are kind of more personal about you, and the second half is more like your takes on general discourse. Okay. And so, if the, if you want to skip any questions, just that's fine. But uh, okay. it will be somewhat targeted towards you. Is it okay if I record this on the, my computer also? Absolutely, should be. I doing think I can record it twice. A B R. Always be recording. Oh, could I have some permission? Permission requests into oh, host. Yeah. Interesting. Um, uh, yeah, I've been doing these, then I listen back, and then I write notes, and then it's been really fun putting all the answers kind of in contrast with one another and seeing. Mm -hmm where people seem to sync up and where they differ. So uh, the first set of questions is just called calibration questions. Oh, um, how old are you, Ben? I'm 47. Mm, okay, Jane. well, this person I've spoken to. <laughs> and how do you self-identify? As a content creator. Nice. And interviewer. And your, okay. What's your sex? Male. What's your sexual orientation? Um, Leslie Elliott. <laughs> I don't know who that is. Yeah, she's in the next room. Mm, I see. Okay, monogamy. Mm, just straight, just women. Um. Yeah. Well, what do you think? But woman. Singular. Women's a stretch. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, would you say you're more submissive or dominant in bed? Um, I am attentive. Um, 
so probably dominant, but I would have to take qualms with that. Um, I was actually thinking about this the other day since we're talking about this subject about like uh, the dominant and submissive thing is it's a very low, uh, it's a very, it's, you can be read as a very low, like who, who's in control, who's leading the dance. Right. But it's mm -hmm. actually the dominant is being, is, if you're a good dominant person, you're actually being very attentive to the signals and the, uh, the, to, to, to your partner. And then the partner is allowed by you holding space for them to, um, flower in various ways. Um, but being dominant isn't about controlling. It's actually about attending, submitting oneself to the other person and, and lifting them up and mm -hmm. supporting them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a good point. But in both those things, it's like, who, who is the object of attention? You could say who's adopting like the more yeah. masculine or feminized role. Yeah. Um, you know, the like yin and yang. Yeah. Those little um, spermy things. <laughs> Did you ever read a uh, sexual personae? Oh, oh man. I, this is, this is going to be a really crude interview. Um, I started reading the audiobook, but it felt like getting like a mythological blowjob. So I had to turn it off. It was just way too, <laughs> this is Camille Paglia's book. Yeah. Yeah. It was just so intense. It was wonderful, mm. but just like so sexually intense that I couldn't listen to it. So. <laughs> How far into would you say you got? Uh, probably about an hour in or so. Oh, okay. So maybe you got to the part. I asked because she, she introduces the concepts, the dialectic as um, Apollodian and Dionysian, but I think she does mm. that in the first chapter or so. I don't know if you got that far in. Um, this question is basically like archetypally, would you say you'd identify more with yin or yang? So yang being the white the kind of left brain, structural, mathematic, logical, um, you know, like shooting an arrow sort of thing, masculine coded, or yin, the chaotic, black, feminine, emotional, earthy, intuitive, artistic. What, what's the, what's the, what's the, what's the question? Of do I identify two? or do yeah, I feel which do you as mean, though... Which do you identify more with more? Um, uh, more and more I'm, um, uh, unifying them. I, yeah, I am fifth 47. So I'm kind of in a different stage of, I think, development where my yang is kind of chilling out and my yin is, uh, filling in the gaps. So I'm, I'm achieving more and more balance as I age between those yeah. two. I definitely think like, um, you, everyone has like a both forces within them and you should strive to have be able to hold both of them but like most yeah. people especially in relative to others you'll find like i am more am i the more structured and orderly relative to society or am i the more chaotic and emotional like that sort of thing yeah it's re that's really hard to it's really hard to say i i try to uh i i feel that it's uh important for me to be the yang in uh in society or a marker of the yang a good a good yang in, in society, mm -hmm. um, by which I mean that my uh, responsibility to uh, my kin and my clan and my tribe and my country uh, has to do with me um, ordering, uh, being the structured one, uh, putting out uh, order uh, or, you know, sending signaling order and trying to order things when I come across them. Um, okay, the next section, this is like kind of personal, but... Um, it's kind of personal? Oh, it's well, going to well, get <laughs> kind of personal? Oh, all right. Okay. I thought well, we were there. Of, okay. <laughs> most of these ones, it's like, I took out most of them because it's like for queer people. Um, no, you can so, ask so me so the queer ones, people. It's not a lot. Okay, whatever. <laughs> well, right. they wouldn't make any sense. But uh, for you, I can ask, um, why do you think dysphoria happens? 
dysphoria is uh, that's a that's an individual that's a case by case individual question. Mm -hmm. I, when I was doing research for this, or when I was embarking on this series on gender, sexuality, and transition, and going through the discourse and watching the discourse unfold, um, and thinking about gender, um, you know, and thinking, and then like waking up in the middle of waking up in the morning and asking, do I feel like a man? Do I feel like a woman? Um, and I've, it's, it's it's not a material question for me. It doesn't really make sense. But I do remember like when I was, I do remember moments when I'd act more feminine and kind of feel like, like, would my dad <laughs> like it if I act like that? Right. Um, mm -hmm. In a way. And then I look at my social relationships, my developmental social, my formative uh, years in my teens, I had mostly girlfriends and I was able to be like a, a man surrounded by women without triggering um, the uh, sexual intrigue. I could just fit in with a group of women and kind of be the odd man out, but also be accepted into their their uh, women's spaces because they, because I didn't trigger, I didn't threaten them or excite them either. Or so I was able to blend in or to withhold my certain masculine aspects of me, which would trigger their feminine aspects of me. So I think that gender is a, gender is a form of communication of the, between the sexes. Um, so dysphoria could have to do, sometimes dysphoria has to do with uh, a very, very feminine, uh, gay male or even just a feminine male who's straight which tends to be more autogynophilia there has to do something with a, a sexual aspect to them wanting to be feminine or the sexuality of a man um, who's straight is directed at femininity and if he starts to embody femininity there's kind of this short circuit that can happen where like this and it, it, it's similar to pornography or masturbation where you're 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 not using your sexuality you're not directing your sexuality into someone else you're using something else to uh, short circuit your sexuality so you can maximize that circuit kind of like you're taking the cocoa leaves and turning it into cocaine the cocoa leaves being natural <laughs> sexuality and then like distilling it into sexuality so when a man in an autogynophilic way um, concentrates his own femininity into an object of desire, it can, it can be very, very intense. And you can see um, one example of it a few years ago, there was the it's ma'am event at GameStop where this very <laughs> male uh, man got mad for being called a he or sir. And he got really, really defensive and aggressively defensive about his femininity. So it makes more sense that um, his femininity is his wife and some guy just called her a bitch and he's, he's, he's protecting his femininity, like his own femininity that, that, that it's ma'am, uh, dude, uh, chick with a dick or whatever you are, uh, dude with the tit, you know, whatever it is. Um, he, the object of his desire is still still functions as a wife or as a mate or as a resource that he then is protecting and defending kind of like on an animal level, like very aggressive. Don't mess with this kind of thing. But it's weird because it's, there's some sort of, they call it erotic target, um, error. Um, that's one way of thinking about AGP is like we, we're, we have a 
erotic target. A male would have a female if he's heterosexual, but somehow it, it, the error is back inside of himself. You should talk to Phil Illy if you haven't. I did. Heard. I did. Okay, yeah. Good. That was the last person I spoke with. So that can be, that can lead to dysphoria, um, which is like, I really, really, really love myself as a woman. That's a form of dysphoria. There's uh there's, I don't make sense in the world. I, I, as a man, I get beat up a lot speaking of a very effeminate gay man. And so there's a social aspect. I can just blend in and be safe mm-hmm. or I can blend in and get into the women's spaces. Um, or, there's something wrong with my body. I look every time I look at my body, there's something wrong with my body. Like there shouldn't be a penis there. I shouldn't have masculine features. And that, 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 um, I think that a lot of that has to do with, um, there could be some sort of developmental disorder, but I'm sure that most people who feel that way have been sexually abused and they're trying to escape, um, the sight of the abuse, which is their body or being objectified before they were ready uh, as a male or as a female. And a lot of the ROGD or, uh, rapid onset or teenage onset, um, female transgender identity, um, a lot of that has to do with not being ready, not being given the tools to deal with male attention, being disgusted by male attention, not knowing how to, wanting to flee from male attention, wanting to be, flee from being objectified. But there also is other aspects of that. Um, and because it's, and because transition or gender has become a cultural currency, it completely disrupts the entire um, explanation of this because it's also cool to be trans. It's also hip to be they, um, you know, college girls, when I was going to college used to have a bi phase. Now they have an, I'm a guy phase. It's just this phase that they're like, Oh, I'm cool. I'm a guy or I'm bi, you know? Um, so there's a fashion aspect of it that hits women more than men, but then men are following along with that because that's how they will get laid, um, or get a mate is by following the females into this, they, themness, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a total morass. So gender dysphoria has, it's, there's a lot of personal, it's case by case, but also there's a cultural cachet to it, which completely obscures like fog of war style. What, what we're talking about now. Yeah. yeah. Do you find the concept of having an internal gender identity to be a useful one? I, why I call myself gender positive, like there's this movement called gender critical movement, which um, is related to radical feminism, which perceives of gender as mostly a, um, a series of cultural expectations that control or suppress women. Um, but also, um, I think they are critical of gender because they don't think that it exists or it's a cultural construct and it's not reality. There's only sex that doesn't make sense to me or that way of looking at gender is not rich at all. It's just saying, don't talk about this thing called gender. But if you look at um, the gender critical uh, movement, um, you'll have groups of women and groups of men or men in relating with it's mostly women, but women are acting like women and they have certain expectations for themselves. And there's a lot of infighting and there's a lot of positionality. So their gender expression is working out sociologically where like it always does, like it always has been with female kind of typical aggression and female bonding relationships and the way that it just acts. And so you can see the gender acting inside the gender critical community. And if you say there's no such thing as gender, you're just saying, I can't analyze the social aspect of sexual um 
uh, mental and, and social relationships. Mm-hmm. I need to examine that. I think the best way to think of gender is that it, it, it's really easy. Um, you can think of sex as hard-coded and you can also think of gender as hard-coded. So if you are in a field and a half a mile there's a woods and, and you see somebody emerge from those woods, you probably are going to notice first their, the dimensions of their body um, and then what they're wearing and then their sex. You're going to see their sex really quick. We are hard-coded mm-hmm. to see sex really quick. And there's all these different reasons why if you, and that, that would be sex with gender. If you began to tell a story or you were going to write a story and you use the word, he, it was a third person story. And you started talking about he, or you started talking about she, you would have a different feeling about the character that you're writing just on that basic level. And then their personality would emerge through that he or she ness now mm-hmm. on a high level of abstract, uh, or a higher level of literary prowess, you can start to switch genders, you know, like Orlando, um, right? What what was the book by Virginia yeah, Woolf? Yeah. Or, the, or, or different sorts of like commentary, social commentary, but you're going to basically have a different set of feelings about the reality or making a, a, a believable female character, which is the holy grail of male writers, right? That is a gender. Or Achilles, mm-hmm. if you read the Iliad, Achilles is a fucking man. He's just a fucking man. Like every guy in there is just fucking men. And they're all, it's all happening. It's, it's a story. It's a perfectly virtual artifact that is exciting neurons in your brain. That's connecting with your cultural expectations, your physical experience. And then you're also your biological, your emotions and stuff. And you are going to understand that these are men acting like men or like, like men turned up to 11. Similarly, I think the paragon of a female um, uh, literary or gender um, archetype would be, and I always mispronounce the name, Jane Irie mm-hmm. uh, by Bront. Was it Bronte? What's her name? Yeah. Is it Bronte? Yeah. I, I don't know. I think so. That book is the emergence of this finally, like like that period of English literature where, where we have the novel and it happened, the novel also happened around the same time in either Jan- Japan or China, where you have this female emergence into literature, and it could only happen, the complexities of the female um, genotype, or, or the, the female, um, not genotype, like, there's got to be a word for like, the psyche or the archetype of the feminine emerges into literature when you have the technology that has enough words to support it. Like, like the novel mm. as a form is so wordy <laughs> and internal and going over and mulling over things. That's when you actually have the, the full expression of the female in literature. Um, it can't be, can't be condensed. You, you can, you can kind of condense it. Like where, if you go back to like something like a romantic, you can have images of the feminine, but you don't have like the emergence of the feminine psyche until you have the printing press that can like really, <laughs> And that's a gendered thing. That's the women. That's really funny. The women I know, the women you know, probably, probably you as a woman, you kind of notice that you kind of talk a lot. You think a lot. You're very. Women tend to be it's very. It's more rich verbal. inner world. Yeah. It's a very rich inner world. So Whereas the Greeks that's, can be like, this guy went and did X Y Z, and then he went to bed, and like that's it. There's no. Yeah, he. he it's all action. He like he <laughs> mm-hmm. stabbed the guy, and here's his name, and this is the thing, and he <laughs> argued with this other guy, and like it's very action, like, and you don't have mm-hmm. a lot of internality. You have a lot of expression, like, oh, I'm sad, I drink it my way, you know, but you don't have that really rich internality. And Jane Eyre is just the perfect example of like, like the emergence of the female psyche. I forgot the question. I hope I answered it. 
yeah, yeah, I asked if uh, the concept of an internal gender identity is useful. So to finish that, identity is too rigid a form. It's like the, it's just a, it's a poor level of analysis. It's, it's a, it's a narrowing of a very rich experience. Identity, having a gendered identity is to rope yourself to a series of symbols that you'll need to swap out again. Um, cause your gender identity has to do with your in or actions, your interactions with other people and to what degree you need to be conscious of those has to do with your development. Like we're all self-conscious mm -hmm. of being a girl or being a boy and we get over it. If you're still like thinking about your gender identity, there's something wrong with you. you need to get over that. You need to let that go. And you need to just kind of very intuitively plug into a woman or plug into a man. And then also like understand that there's a lot of dynamics going on and propriety and all this other stuff. But if you have a gender identity, it's like carrying around this image of yourself and you make an idol of it, which means that you stick yourself in time. You're not open to experience and you can't grow beyond it. So I think it's, it, it's best for you not to have a gender identity as some sort of static thing, but as a set of tools and languages to interact and to form connections with other people. Yeah, it's gender is like a good heuristic, but you shouldn't mistake the, the map for the territory when it comes yeah. to living your life that way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, did you show early signs of gender nonconformity as a kid? Um, I cross-dressed in, in seventh grade. Uh -huh. my, my church girlfriends my youth group girlfriends uh for like we had a party one night like it was a big church party and for some reason we decided to dress me up we thought it would be hilarious so like i dressed up it was very um i know that in britain before this whole gender madness like there would be like these different kind of clown shows or carnivals where the man would dress up as a woman and there's this something inherently silly and funny and st and breaking through um one, it's it's kind of self, it's mocking the masculinity and it's also mocking femininity. There's also drag, which is another thing that happens within the gay circles, you know, where they mm -hmm. uh, allow themselves to express their femininity um, and and produce it and really lean into that. Um, but for for me as a heterosexual boy of like what was I fourteen or something like thirteen fourteen, it was just to play around with that. Um, but um, I I think that there are when when you ask about gender conformity then we start to bring up stereotypes to what degree was i a jock or a nerd like there's different ways for a man to express his masculinity and some is harder and some is softer so softer uh, masculinity would be kind of seen as kind of feminine or effeminate or a feat um like not wanting to get dirty kind of being a pussy so-called and that i'm using that term very specifically is just the way that men kind of toughen each other up um not saying that uh, the female genitals are inherently derogatory. <laughs> um, they're not. They're wonderful, and we all come from them, and we need to respect that. But um, I, I would say that I'm probably, I was more artistic, poetic, uh, really in touch with my femininity, but my femininity was a a way for me to understand females, understand women. It wasn't a identity in itself. It was just a proclivity to understand certain aspects of uh, life that women are generally more capable at or tend to be uh, more invested in language, uh, arts, aesthetics, uh, cooking tastes, sens sensuality, um, 
and 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 uh, maximizing that rather than maximizing my strength. Like I was never into like sports. Like they always just bored the hell out of me. Um, but I could sit down and 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 uh, try to make a group of women laugh. You know, like that would be my mm -hmm. exercise. Like being the class clown, which is a way of of which which is a stereotypical male thing, but it's not a jock thing. Like the cl class clown will probably be like more of a male. Probably the jock mm -hmm. will probably be more of a male. The nerd will probably be more of a male. Though you have nerdy girls, you have like uh, you have sporty girls, and then you have uh, spicy spice girls, right? Um, so we we all kind of it kind of breaks down. But I kind of gave you a sense of like what might you're a soft boy. I, uh, I, I was, yeah, I was, yeah, I wasn't necessarily soft. I just kept away. I was kind of a loner kind of guy too. So like the, when we start to use gender in that sense, it's like, okay, well, what's your, per it's like, it's almost like we're trying to do a personality type, but we haven't quite nailed it down into like, a, like these different letters on this board of hexagramal, you know, questionnaire kind of stuff like that Enneagram thing, whatever like that. Yeah. Yeah. The reason I generated this question is because like, um, often, early signs of gender nonconformity in children will be used as evidence to like transition them later on. Then it's one of those questions where it's like, well, actually, if you ask any gay man, he'll say the same thing as like a yeah. trans woman would, or actually lots of straight men too will be like, yeah, but of course I also wanted to try on my big sister's nail polish when I was four. But like, that's again, it's yeah. not really indicative of anything other than being curious what nail polish is like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or having your girlfriends dress you up or like it's, it makes sense especially to the fact that like because in humans women are the the adorned it makes sense yeah. to me that every man would have a natural curiosity of like well what's it like to wear a skirt or a dress or makeup or have long hair because a girl can cut her hair short and wear jeans and go drive a truck and no one's gonna blink at it so there's an asymmetry in terms yeah, of what yeah, yeah. what role avenues are available to you yeah yeah it's interesting I still think a man in a dress is ridiculous, but that's my. Have you ever worn one though? <laughs> Maybe I've worn them, but it's still like it's just silly. It's funny. It's fun. Um, it's not uh, flattering. The dresses are designed for a woman's body for yeah, a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, do you feel pressure to live up to conventional gender norms or perform certain roles? Um. Um. Yeah. Um, I don't feel any discomfort for that. Um, but yeah, like I am the man of the house right now. I'm, I'm in a relationship and there's two kids here and they're both boys. And I have a certain, um, I have a certain strength in my voice. Oh, okay. I can talk about my past. I, I worked in a preschool for a very long time for about 15 mm -hmm. years on and off. And I only worked with one man during that time, but I did work in co-op. So dads would show up, but I was mostly a guy with children and women for a really long time. And I noticed that I had certain capabilities or proclivities that the children liked um, and listened to. I could use my voice in a way to target them, to get them to stop doing something right away, like hurting somebody just by using my voice or get them through the process of, we're speaking of one and a half year olds, washing their hands before taking a snack. Um, with washing their hands before taking a snack, there's certain number of steps. You get in line, you, you, you get some soap, you rub your hands, and then you get a towel, right? <laughs> and I watched my female coworkers do all this talking through the whole thing, and the kid would be distracted and going all, and I just like, 
uh, soap, water, towel, soap, water, towel, soap, water, towel, like that. And I noticed that that was just a masculine, my gendered expectations or my power as a man got us through this really efficiently thing. And then, then we go through all this thing. And then what I ended up doing would be sitting down. This is, this is an interesting thing. I'd, I'd end up We'd get it all set up. We'd get it all the lunches out. We'd get everything down. And then it would just be talking time because we're just eating and talking and telling people not to scream or play with their food. But like, we're just hanging out now. And after working in the toddler room for a while, I, that drove me crazy. Like just sitting down and talking, like I'm, I have no desire to just talk about nothing. So I brought in a guitar and I started to write children's songs. Like I tried to play around with guitar, like in a way that the kids would like, like using that, uh, that mm -hmm. same kind of thing where I got their attention, trying to replicate that in, in the, uh, in, in song or with nursery rhyme, try to create that nursery rhyme that would exist on its own in a playground, like ABCs or like any of these songs that like trying to get like a song that just like sticks in the head and lives beyond me. <laughs> like that would be another way that I think would be kind of more associated with my sex or my gender. Like I didn't want to sit mm -hmm. around talking. I had to do something. I had to uh -huh. be invested in something because I'm spun artistically. Um, that's how, and I'm spun linguistically. That's, that's how I, I exerted that and, and got value out of that or made myself feel like a man. Like I'm not just wasting my life being a toddler teacher. Um, like I actually produced, uh, you know, 200 kids songs or something <laughs> like that. Right. Yeah, that's that's very true. That makes a lot of sense that like your presence as the only man in that environment would actually confer a lot of direct benefit because I'm sure you're right. There's something about hearing a male voice cutting across a room that kids are going to turn their heads and like listen a little bit more quickly than if it's the, the maternal figure because it's kind of more um, malleable yeah. almost like you've got more leeway there. Yeah. I, I one way I articulated it was that I'm I'm a catapult, not a cushion. So the women, like if a kid got mm, hurt, nice. they would hug the yeah, kid. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would be the one throwing the kid around. Right. Mm -hmm, I would be, mm -hmm. I would, I would not, I, I was, I was always hesitant to be sympathetic to the child's pain because I felt like if I concentrated on the pain, I would magnify the pain if they scraped their knee. But if yeah. I concentrated on them and let them concentrate on the pain, then I would magnify them. Like my attention in and of itself. And I noticed this a lot that children thrive consciousness, the food of consciousness is attention. So how mm -hmm. I paid attention to the kids and because I, I noticed it as a man, it, there's something uh, based on my sex or my gender, whatever it is, where my attention on a thing magnifies and concentrates the thing. So I have to be very careful how I pay attention to things and, and I could be very beneficial or very detrimental. I can make a kid feel really bad about themselves. I mm -hmm. remember I was changing a kid's diaper and he was getting to be about three and a half and I was really, and I was really tired of changing his diaper and I kept on trying, you just don't do this. And one time he made a huge mess and I looked at him and like, I was just like, I was just, I felt bad because I sent him the signal like this is your, this is disgusting right and and he felt like i could see him like feel shame and i'm like I, I have to be really careful how i attend to this kid but after that he kind of breached himself he's he, he saw himself in his in his filth <laughs> and he's like oh i so my attention actually allowed him to see himself in a way so there's good and bad aspects to how we do that. But I noticed that my attention is more concentrated, whereas the women that I worked with, their, their attention is more diffuse and more like they, they would come in and out of each other. There's this thing that, uh, 
that women tend to do in their teenage years where they kind of glom onto each other. Enmeshment, it's called, and that's why you have um, social social contagions affect women mostly because they're always enmeshed and they co-ruminate a lot. Mm -hmm. Their their psyches are like just get really entwined with each other. Um, yeah. I wonder what that says about me that I definitely did not have that like a female social cohort in high school or no. afterwards. Were you, no, were you a loner? Mm -hmm, big time. Huh. And you don't feel that you're missing out on something or you don't feel like the need to have uh, somebody reflecting your emotions back on you or your, your psyche back on you. I mean, like, I think obviously I like, I think everyone wants to have like a little group of friends and gal pals that you can get together with, but also um, that, that fantasy versus what um, reality, like, like mm. that's not always necessarily feasible. Um, and I, I feel like if I tend to derive a lot of enjoyment and on by being by myself, then like yeah. you really have to be getting a lot of any social dynamic that you're inserting yourself into. And most, I just don't feel like I necessarily relate to that feminine um, cohort so much when it comes to feeling the need to like, you know, have someone go to the washroom with me or something like that. But yeah, that can okay. be a locus of bonding for a lot of women also. But yeah. I feel like I'm pretty male brained in my um, approach. Did you, did you have hard time understanding the vicissitudes of female interaction? Or did you just not care for it, right? So uh, people who are described as Asperger's or autistic spectrum females, like they don't really understand like all these very subtle signals that women send each other. Um, so there's, there's not understanding it or not caring about it. I think there's a bit of both. I feel like there's, um, I like, I think those ideas can cross over in, in the sense that like, well, if I, if I don't understand it, then it's hard to care. Um, or maybe hmm. I do understand it, but I think it's stupid and ergo, I yeah. don't care. Okay. Yeah. So a bit of both for sure. Huh. Um, okay. The next section is all discourse questions, but I think I'm going to use a washroom before we do that. That's okay. Cool. Let's take a five. Yeah. Give me two seconds. I'll right. just be... uh, Lovely. Okay. So this section, I've been basically saying to everyone, um, I don't want to hear like the conventional, generic, mainstream, socially appropriate answer. I want to hear like... Well, you come to the wrong place because I'm just the talking point generator. Uh, talking points are great. I just want like the most kind of whatever the... like. Don't feel obliged to just buy, like regurgitate whatever the normal thing is. I okay. want your spiciest edge takes. Like, like okay. I've been pitching this section to people. Like, if you if you were a supreme dictator, benevolent yeah. gender dictator of your own um, gender Life. utopia, <laughs> yeah. yeah. How how would you want these issues to be conceptualized okay. or addressed? Not we're not, world um, building here. Uh huh. Yeah. Exactly. It doesn't matter what you like to in do. Your life. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Right, you cool. know me. Um, what is a woman? Hmm. Queen of heaven. Hmm. A woman is the uh, parapet, uh, the, the scaffolding upon which the civilizations of man are erected and, and reset. Um, women are uh, a vibe. Woman is a vibe. Um, but woman is also the... Uh, like if you're talking about a daughter, the woman is uh, like a, a, 
the man's daughter is his what he what he finds most beautiful in life. It's the expression of his uh, of of his deep subconscious relationship with life's beauty. Um, mm. So woman woman is beautiful. Woman is um, like women hold beauty. Women hold life. Uh, there's so many. I can't really answer this. So. I could keep on going, but I'm just going to be playing like uh, tarot cards <laughs> until we start to arrange them into a more complex social order. I think that's workable. That's a, that's a good start. Um, what does it mean to be trans? Um, absent technology, nothing. With technology, it's having transitioned certain uh, characteristics. Uh, Secondary sex characteristics are uh, either diminished or heightened through the use of hormones, but you can't actually be, tr uh, you, there's no such thing as a trans endocrine system. So you can only inject these hormones and hope for the best with them. So that's not, there's no, in, yeah, there's no trans endocrine system. Um, when we talk about the uh, genital surgery, um, there's no such thing as a trans dick. Like there's flesh that's taken from one part of the body and stuck on another part of your body, or you are castrated in terms of a male and your penis is inverted or parts of your colon or stomach are used to create a, um, a simulacra of a vagina, but the vagina doesn't serve a purpose other than aesthetic. So trans is, a, is an aesthetic um, trans can mm, be in the case, in the case of, um, what might be called true trans, which I'm skeptical that there's such thing as true trans. Mm -hmm. um, but there is somebody whose distress at plugging into the world is alleviated by um, managing or manipulating their characteristics, their sex characteristics. And that would be the closest to the benign sort of trans, but absent technology, it doesn't exist. That's really so a harsh answer. But, but that may, that's interesting. So like absent... I get what it, like so. If you were to pretend that Mulan is dressing up as a man, not out of uh, obligation to fight for her country, but because it's yep. like, granting her gender euphoria, it, it, that's not a sufficient example of like historical. Not that that's a real person, but you get my point. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, you would have trans transvestitism or transvestitism, mm -hmm. like so, a man dressing up or wanting to present as a woman could be a social role so that's not tr that's not transsexual so i guess we have to open up are we talking transsexual transgender or transvestite um transgender is a n relatively new concept that we are now or certain people are undertaking the project of recasting all of history in that but mm -hmm. there are um women who get along better in society behaving and appearing as though they're a man and there are men who get along better in society by doing the opposite or men who achieve some form of uh, enjoyment or um, harmony with themselves or sexual fulfillment or gratification, which I think that sexuality and and uh, internal harmony are very closely linked. I don't moralize sexuality. Yeah. I think that there's deviations that cause more problems or less problems for people. But um, a man who achieves uh, some sort of internal sense of harmony, peace, or, or uh, gratification um, through dressing up in private or um, walking about town is not trans trans 
sexual or transgender. It's transvestite, which is just vestige, the vestiges of the other sex. So trans doesn't exist without the binary. Trans doesn't exist without a deep coded social and biological concept and reality yeah. of male and female. So it actually in a certain form or in a certain way, trans, um, reveals the reality rather than demolishes the reality of the sex. It's the, it's the exception that proves the rule is how I like to think of it. Yeah. Should people always use preferred pronouns? Um, I will extend the courtesy for very certain under certain circumstances for preferred pronouns. But the more I think and meditate on this, the more it feels like I'm participating in not necessarily a lie, uh, but a betrayal of the truth. Um, mm. So when uh, in terms of being polite, I will try to just use the person's first name uh, over and over and over again, uh, instead of the uh, she in the case of a male or he in the case of a female, because there's something about there's a, there's a, for me, and this is, this is my own bias and my own um, way of looking at things. There's a spiritual reality. There's a deep spiritual reality. That is, there is a manifestation, a sacred and, and profound manifestation of reality through sex. Um, and not just the act of sex, but also the, the male and the female, the male and the female are expressions of God's love or of beings, um, fulfillment of itself. Mm -hmm. So to play around with that or to disregards, to disregard that, um, outside of the bounds of politeness, it feels like, uh, slandering the origin and the outcome of existence to me. I'm sorry, but like sex mm -hmm. is sex is how we got here. Sex is how we continue to be here. Sex is therefore a gateway to being and sex only happens between a male and a female. So I think, yeah, I, this is really hard. This is hard code. This is hardcore Benjamin, Benjamin, but that's when I, when I look at it and express it, like this is a foundational, this is absolutely foundational. So um, I try not to betray that. Um, but in the case of being polite, you know, I'll, I'll wiggle. I see. So I'll, even I'll in the case waffle. of a trans person who's like, who passes perfectly well, and maybe they have a lot of that essence of which that they're transitioning towards, you still feel like there is some, you, you don't want to completely overlook the biological realities. Um, in the case of Blair White, and I... <laughs> specifically Blair of course is like the the north star when you're trying to talk about like the fishiest trans it's so funny and yeah in in the case of Blair White um and I have she's been kind enough to to come out of my channel a couple of times um so I I feel like like she very much respected me um so I very much want to respect her but at the same time the her is not the reality. The her is a second, a, a secondary modal interaction that she has with the world. It's not a primary. I don't know why you use the term modal. It's just a secondary aspect of her reality. So her is convenient, but it it's not real. So it's kind of like, it's still tentative, you know? 
Because you're saying the identity is still being defined in relation to the sex, so it's like you can't. Yeah. So I mean, I didn't watch the video, but she didn't want to get her willy cut off, so she still has a willy. Mm -hmm. So even she, and this is like this is this is the problem with the whole conversation. I'm totally mangling reality right now, but Blair understands either like the complications of getting rid of that, or that there's something that's essentially Blair about that part of her body, that most masculine part of her body. Um, and also Blair is an uh, influencer. So Blair lives and exists and travels in uh, circles or in a climate that very much um, prizes appearance, very much prizes appearance. So when we talk about Blair, we talk about she, I think I'm talking about like this construct rather than the reality because she lives in a constructed world like LA and the internet mm -hmm. it's very constructed so she is projected it's like um it's like if we're playing a play like and and like we're all on a play I, my character is benjamin boyce is really close to my character offline um but it's also like an image that i'm projecting i'm still playing a character in a play um so there's different rules within the play than there is necessarily um in in reality it's still kind of like a not a farce but a simulacra it's the matrix kind of thing so you can be a female or really close to being a female in the game but the game is still a human construct that's made out of human belief and human attention not necessarily made out of god's power and and nature right it's not necessarily it's using nature um to facilitate itself through desire and through um objects and stuff like that but it's a different thing I'm I'm having a hard time like feeling like I'm making perfect sense because like this you is <laughs> interesting. I haven't totally hammered out all my thoughts on this. Okay, good. It's nice to have a platform where I'm gonna put some pressure on. Um, yeah. So so basically, if people always use preferred pronouns, no, not at all. Uh, oh, you will. I don't do think they should respect, be right, required but, to. Yeah, I don't yeah. think. I don't think. I would not. I would not institute a. No, I would not institute a society where people must use personal preferred pronouns no no mm -hmm. uh, strike that um, one from the law books all right all right is passing important passing um i mean if you do it less than once a day you're going to be uncomfortable um some people mm -hmm. have problems with this so there's different um you know herbal remedies or different like changes in diet that you can mm -hmm. use to pass um but it's, it's kind of important for uh dietary and, and uh, even emotional health to have a daily constitutional, at least. <laughs> and interpersonally? Uh, interpersonally? Uh, I, I poop alone. I don't know about <laughs> you. Um, so I don't know about that. And then I always no, try to like use a match afterwards to kind of clear up the air, you know, you know, like, you know, yeah, so you don't gross. like leave like the, yeah, well, no, it's gross. So, you know, you have a fan there, you know, it's like, it's very personal business. Um, but what do you mean by passing? Like, what does that really mean? Um, in, in terms of obviously the, the, the trans notion of the term, um, being perceived as huh. the gender that you identify as. I live in Washington state and Washington state is weird. And I noticed that, um, actually before trans went popular, it was already, it was already kind of popping up. Like there's something about this area where people, 
and sex and gender like it's like kind of morphing there's a lot of morphing and i think it's because there's so many mushrooms here and there's so much like plant force like just makes you want to go and so there's just these 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 gendered people that i see like clearly a woman with a beard clearly a man with tits you know, not just like I have tits because I like, tits. you know, so it's like, they're not even, it's not even important for them to pass. Like they, they're actually like breaking through the barrier of what you expect. And it's kind of weird. Um, it, it's odd. Um, and, and plus it's transhuman. So when mm-hmm. we, when we go from transsexual or transgender to transhuman, what is it going to mean to pass? Like, am I going to pass as a dragon or a humanoid dragon? Like when you, when you look at the trans human or do I pass as a cyborg? Is it, is it important that nobody knows that I have a chip in my brain? So I pass as human. Is it important for AI to pass as human? What does passing actually accomplish? Like people don't think twice about you. Is that important that people don't think twice about you? Is it important that you stand out? Well, that has to do with your ego. Do you want to stand out? Do you need to stand out? What does sex mean when you, when you're, when you stand out as a woman, when do you like that? When you not like, you probably don't want to stand out as a woman on a dark seedy street, but you wouldn't mind standing out as a woman in a very elegant ballroom, right? Like, mm-hmm. like you, like standing out as a woman among women, that probably feels really good. You standing out as a target of, uh, well, I mean, I guess both of those times you're kind of a target, um, for attention, but like there's certain times where you want to pass as not a woman, right? So it's really like, is it important to pass it really, really like, like that is a, just a very basic human, uh, just social thing. It doesn't really have to have sex. And in the case of transsexualism, it depends on what the person wants. It would be nice if people passed, if that's what they want to be. So they don't stand out. But there's a lot of people who, there's a lot of women who don't look like women. You know, there's a lot of men who are like, whoa, you you don't pass at all. Like, you're barely even human, you know, you're just like scraggling along, right? Mm-hmm. Do you want to pass in certain, like, like passing even has to do with class. Passing has to do with your accent. Do you want to pass in terms of being like thought to be smart? You know, like, yeah, you do. Passing is, uh, it, it, it's just, it's just the basic way that we establish the economy of culture like of human interaction mm-hmm. so it's so important, it important insofar yeah. insofar as that's something that it, like you want to manifest reactions along that dimension well if, if you're not if you're not worried about how people perceive you then there's something wrong with you and by worried, I mean, like, if you're not aware of how people perceive you and you're not using that to your advantage to either disappear or to stand out in certain ways at certain times, then you're not really developed as a human being. It's just basic mm-hmm. human interaction. Like, do you do you pass as what? As an asshole? Yeah. yeah. Like, like I love to pass as an asshole. Like, well, that's an asshole. Like, Trump, does he pass? Yeah, he passes as Trump, right? Like, he's like, you can't pass him by without saying, whoa, that's Trump. Like, he passes as, like, this thing, right? So passing, like, like, and then it, it just, to what degree is, is human interaction theater? And to what degree is it just normal human interaction? I'm sorry I'm breaking that question open, but it's so... No, no, that's fine. I, this is why I'm asking them, because I want yeah. them to be going in weird tangents. Okay. Because um, I think that's where the interesting stuff lies, is in the comparisons that are being drawn and... No, any, any answer is a good answer. Um, is dysphoria a mental illness? Uh, is, is it... Um, if you can't stop thinking about your knee, are you okay? 
Like, is that a good thing for you to keep on thinking about your knee? When I was a teenager, um, I noticed that my thigh jiggled and I was just obsessed with it. And I thought everybody could see my thigh jiggling, but it's just a piece of flesh that's going to jiggle when you walk it. Like I was just really self-conscious about oh. things. I, I, I have a crooked tooth, a really self-conscious. Well, I was never self-conscious about that, but that made me stand out, right? Self-conscious, mm. I drink a lot of coffee. My, my teeth are rather yellow. So like that was really self-conscious about that. Like, but to what degree do I hide when I smile? You know, to what degree mm -hmm. do I change the color of my, um, the, the warmth of my camera to do yeah. that? So um, dysphoria is, what does that even mean? What, what's the, do you have the uh, etymology of that? I mean, by definition, isn't di dysphoria English? Um psychiatry dysphoria from dysphoros hard to bear a state of unease or generalized dissatisfaction with life adolescence with depression dysphoria mania and anxiety disorder so like by definition yes but what does that really mean to be gender dysphoric there's a lot of people um sociologically who identify into gender dysphoria but like they're just using gender as a way to work out other dysphoric feelings it's just like i just don't feel it's like the opposite of euphoria so i think euphoria too much it's be, better best to have a baseline and to go kind of through dysphoric and euphoric um you know uh, vacillations like a normal human being was but if you're always dysphoric then of course you're going to feel euphoric when you think you solved the problem but is gender dysphoria so what was the original question is it a mental illness is gender dysphoria a mental illness yeah. Insofar as it's your mind not being well, yeah. Um, what To what degree can you talk yourself out of that? To what degree can you grow out of that? To what degree do you need hardcore medical interventions to solve that? That's, that's a really big and very important and very impressive question right now. Because mm -hmm. the medical industry is more than happy. Planned Parenthood is... Parent who's more than happy to grow your beard and then the laser guys are more than happy to take it off right mm -hmm. um, but is that going to solve your gender or your dysphoria and maybe it'll give you some alleviation but does it actually take it away i think there needs to be a lot more patience and concern and love and care for people and they are not getting what they need and so gender and dysphoria is a manifestation of their needs not being met in one way or another so it's not just a mental illness it's just like they're, they're not thriving as a human being beyond just their mind. Yeah, their mind's yeah, expressing they're, something. They're stuck in a loop because of something else. There are different motives for it. And some are more kind of, um, they can be mitigated and maybe other in other people in other instances, it can't be, but it's like, you can't generalize these things. It's really hard. And you shouldn't, if you do that, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Is non-binary a trans identity? <laughs> What's non-binary? I don't know. <laughs> Are you non-binary? Have you ever mm. wanted to be non-binary? I've taken those those online tests before, and I, oh. I get pretty high on the non-binary. As I said before, I feel like I'm pretty male-brained. So I think okay. spiritually, um, like practically, um, I definitely don't align with my sex stereotypes. Hmm. but I also wouldn't make that the cornerstone of my identity. I'm going to, uh, give me one second. I'm going to share something. I'm going to send mm -hmm. something to you in chat. Yeah. You see that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, 
somebody made that up and it's trendy so i don't know it doesn't mean anything to me maybe it means something to somebody it, it's not an actionable it's not a sexy category i'll tell you that much and by sexy i mean it's not generative like what does it create what does this thing create what does non-binary create it's totally narcissistic it's the dead end it's like the cul-de-sac of genders it's like oh yeah let's go on a journey a gender journey oh well, I guess get a long chair because we're non-binary. There's nowhere else to go. Or I get to go this way or that way. No, make a choice. You have to go somewhere. To be a man yeah. and to be a woman is just a prompt for you to be a human being. It's a prompt. It's not something that you deny. If you're denying that, if you're trying to escape that, well, you're either up in your head or you're going to try to escape reality. Where, where's the creativity there? Where, where's the Ill, Where's the non-binary great work of fiction? Like... Like the non-binary Iliad, the the non like like the great work of art, like the 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 non-binary skyscraper. Like no, it's a fucking dick penetrating the sky. That's why it's awesome. That's it's not non. No, it's like this is like the extension of the will of man. You know, like there's no not like what. Eh. So I yeah, I'm disappointed that the kids think that this is something cool. But it's just something cool. It's a tchotchke. It's it's a trendy. It doesn't have any inherent awesomeness to it. Unless, do you see some awesomeness there? Um, no, I'm, personally, I don't drive a lot. Of, okay. <laughs> I don't. I don't derive a lot of utility from the term. I, I think it's kind of it's it's funny because like I think you can kind of take maleness as like the default thing, and then you could say femininity is a thing that's like it's going to be different in whatever sense you wanted to start defining it. So then to say like, well, to step outside of that pre-existent dichotomy is like, you can just end up in endless recursion without actually adding in any new information. Because it's like, as soon as you have non-binary established as a third category that someone can identify into, then you can look at all three and be like, well, I don't identify with any of these three. So now I need to step out and make a fourth one that's over here somewhere. And you can keep like, yeah. um, then you have your 3000 gender identities. Yeah, yeah, but you've not actually gleaned any new information because, um, yeah, non-binary just reinforces the the stereotypes practically. I think. Yeah, and if it doesn't, then it it can't escape them. I think gender is inevitable. I think, it, like I said this before, and I've said this to gender critical people of the highest caliber. But if we got rid of gender tonight, we'd have to reinvent it by noon tomorrow. It's just like, it's like gender is, you know, even Nietzsche said, I, I, I'm afraid we can't get rid of, rid of God because we can't get away from gender. Like, it's just like, it's encoded in our language. It's a category. It's like the way that we establish human categories. Gender just means genre. It means category. There's a sex category. It's real. It influences constantly every human interaction um, to some degree. If we got rid of that, it would just come back in a different form tomorrow. Yeah. Just like these, these cross-cultural patterns are emergent and consistent for a reason. It's not, unless you just want to like call the human race and make them like un unable to reproduce or to have stable relationships. Then I guess you can try to like decimate that, but I don't know. I like my heritage, including the think, human heritage. Yeah. I don't think our capacity for blank slateism is actually runs that deep. It's like a very Rousseauian notion that like, societies you know what rousseau did in all his children right no no you just banged the maid over and over again and then threw the babies away threw the babies to the orphans orphanages he didn't want to have like talk about uh, being a man or not being a man talk about blank slate <laughs> yeah talk about blank slate yeah 
Um, okay. Is trans a spectrum or a binary? Um, uh, there is no, uh, trans is, trans is a medical, uh, pathway to resolve a, a mental state of distress. Mm -hmm. Um, trans is, uh, culturally trans is something that's interesting and, um, tends to be very narcissistic and self-involved. Um, so it's on, it's on some spectrum. I'll tell you that. Um, is it a binary? I don't think of it in terms of spectrum or binary. Okay. So it's not, there's a harsh line in the sand of like this person's trans and this one's not because you can oh. Oh, are you trans or are you, that's what you mean. Are you trans or are you not? Um, I guess there could be like some layer of, uh, there could, you could split hairs, but like, you know, like if you, let's say that you, um, took just enough, just enough testosterone to give you like a little bit of a performative edge, but not to like actually met metal with your, uh, hu uh, your femininity, right? Like if you were a sports person or mm -hmm. a chess, chess player and, and testosterone just really helped you do that, but you didn't take enough. So you'd be transhuman. Like you'd start to mm -hmm. use medical technology to mm -hmm. heighten yourself. So drugs, and if I go down that route, then me drinking coffee is like a transhumanist thing. <laughs> me using all this technology is transhuman. Like I'm projecting yeah. myself into people's ears. I'm taking, I'm, I'm abstracting my voice and my face and I'm sending it out over the internet. So that, that that's a form of transhumanism too. Definitely. I'm, I'm, I'm human all too human, right? So transsexualism is is using technology to facilitate that. So once you start to do that, then yeah, I guess you're trans. Um, but then how is that like, how is trans a salient social const construct at that? Should, should I change my behavior to you if you started to masculinize yourself? To what degree would my behavior change to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the bigger question. I don't know. <laughs> is it a binary? Do I start treating you differently as soon as you grow one like whisker? Probably not. Well, probably I go. Oh, Jane, you got a, Jane's got a whisker. I don't fuck that. Yeah. But I, I, I'm polite, so I'd, I'd, I'd suppress that. <laughs> okay. Um, is it better to have more or less people transitioning? Is it better to have more? What would the world li be like if more people transitioned? Um, what what is the what is the effect of transition uh transition we don't fully understand the long-term consequences of various levels of transition the uh, so-called bottom surgery or gen genital surgeries are very primitive uh, mastectomies are um, irreversible and uh, sad i like boobs a lot and and to have less boobs in the world makes me sad um uh I don't think it's, I, the, and then the hormones and stuff do to who pays for all these hormones, who pays for all this surgeries should, should the national health service, I guess you're, you're still in Canada. Should, should the public, should insurance, should I be paying into my insurance so other people can transition? I would rather not, you know, I don't think that that's a cause. I think that's a cosmetic surgery, maybe under certain circumstances, it helps you one way or another. But if you're being a burden on society, how much can society sustain that? And to what degree do we need to get that estrogen to women who need it rather than to men who want it? Well, this so is what can, the mental illness question is for, right? Like, is if that's something that you're using to judge the the heuristics? Hmm. 
Because, like, because if you're saying, well, dysphoria is a mental illness, like currently in our society, you need to say that dysphoria is a mental illness because in the American healthcare model, that's how you can get yeah. access to the things you're describing. Yeah. So, but but then practically speaking, I think people would maybe oh, they vary in terms of well, how much is it actually mental illness? But like the fact that that has trickle down consequences is then shaping the discourse. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess that's that's sort of the root of me wondering. Um, yeah because paying for it yeah is kind of a, a separate um issue that's tied to the mental illness capacity at least in the yeah. u.s and to what degree does it affect a child's development for their father to transition in the middle just overnight like what's that what's the cost to families what's the cost to uh to to relationships um to what degree is how much can we afford this and what are the costs we don't know so i would say it's probably best to slow down and not do more Mm-hmm. Is the concept of social contagion something to worry about? Worry about is something to be aware of. Um, mm-hmm. It's fascinating. To worry about um, means that it's necessarily a bad thing, but you can have good social contagions. Actually, that's what you need is some good social contagion. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we need to we need to you know, release some uh, goody memes into the uh, the the uh, teenage mind to to get them to to act or behave in the way that i would like them to act and behave <laughs> rather than the way that the global american empire whatever it is that's manipulating all of this or the world or satan wants them to behave right so mm-hmm. social contagion is just the way that specifically females are more um inclined to that and when we think of social contagion we think of it in terms of a disease and if you go through the history of social contagions you'll see that since the middle ages women have like they have spinning fits back in the middle ages where they just started spinning and they would spin and spin and spin until they'd faint and or sometimes they would die they would keep on spinning and it was just like like women in europe were just doing this thing um, interesting you know like the twirling of, dervishes yeah yeah but, oh, that's, that's like something vaguely like uh religious about that you know yeah or just trying to get drunk or just being <laughs> like having like women tend to have uh, pro- teenage females tend to have a proclivity for for uh, for distress, for just generalized distress feelings. They look for answers for this generalized distress feelings, and they usually find it within their cohort. Somebody like like with pro Anna communities, right? The pro anorexia mm-hmm. communities. Like there's manifestation after manifestation after manifestation of specifically young women in mass expressing their distress through some novel means um and it just happens over and over and over again but i'm sure it happens and i i'm sure that that same phenomenon can be a beneficial thing and is a beneficial thing but but we don't necessarily think it i guess like the beatles were a social contagion if you go back and you look at the videos of how the girls were just going absolutely bonkers for the beatles like there was something so hysterical like like and by hysterical i mean just like out of like just this incredible extreme expression of emotion and it was euphoria it wasn't necessarily distress but that was kind of but they were all doing it together and they were all getting off on each other getting off on these these uh, beautiful shaggy boys um right mm-hmm. yeah so i guess if you wanted to design society um social contagion is something to take into account b- both to protect against and then also use in your favor i guess i'm wondering if um if if these 
contagious attitudes that are being adopted, not so much the Beatles, but like the pro-Anna stuff or the dysphoria, if it's not being reached for because there's some sense of distress that it's then acting as like a remedy towards, whereas in like kind of the fangirl culture is the same sort of like um, generalizing your mind to the, to the mob mentality, but but it's not it's not ameliorating some sort of distress that you're experiencing in the same way that the, neg- the negative um, stereotype social contagions are. Well, I, I try to push back. It, it might be the case that um, being a, a fangirl like does relieve you from feelings of loneliness, feelings of mm, purposelessness, right? Um, it, it allows you to forget certain things that you don't want to, mm. maybe you don't want to think about. I'll, I'll fan, I'll fan out about Axl Rose instead of doing my homework or, you know, mm-hmm. or like working on my uh, relationships with boys that I know. Right. Yeah, that's so, a good point. Yeah. Like Sherlock and something like that. It's like, that was a social contagion back in 2013 oh, or whatever. Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was a social contagion. <laughs> Yeah, that like that TV show was like <laughs> so popular on Tumblr. Like I was part of those Tumblr oh. fan communities, and it's like a TV show that has like three episodes, and there's like a fandom culture that's been going crazy for two years, and people are like just and like you know and making gifts of every possible split second of the thing, and like making endless art and talking about it, and writing fan fiction. It's like it's completely explosive relative to the oh. the size of the initial interest. Yeah, yeah. I think I think uh, then in that sense, social contagion is just a malignant form of fashion, maybe. Like it's a it's a co-rumination. Fashion is a co-rumination. Trends are a co-rumination. Fascination. Yeah. 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 Um, okay. At what age should schools teach kids about queer identities? I don't think queer identities exist. Uh, uh, what, at what age should child be children be groomed um, to uh, expend their mental? Uh, resources, their their emotional and sexual um, resources on uh, such a thing as any type of identity. At what age should children be taught about their white identity, their black identity? Like, at what age is that appropriate? Um, and I guess it's okay to have a black identity. It's more salient um, in our culture, though I would argue that it's probably best that we didn't teach kids about their identity. I don't think identity um, is something that should be taught in schools. Um, it should be uh, mitigated by cultural institutions, not state institutions. Um, why is it more like if you're good at reading and at writing and at sports, why do you need a queer identity at all? Like what, what, what does that serve? How does a queer identity serve anything? I think like having spoken to Phil the other day, he'd probably say like, um, being aware of queer, deviant, paraphilic, other, uh, kind of sexual orientations uh, and things Mm. like that personal things that could be going on in your psychology when you hit puberty, but you don't can't really make sense of, it would be helpful for kids to have exposure to some of these ideas because that could help them make sense of what they're going through. That is, that's a good, fair point. Um, I wouldn't trust a generalized school curriculum with that. Maybe a psychology or a counseling profession that was uh, not corrupt, but the one that we have is corrupt. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh so I don't, I don't think that should be in a uh, state uh, curriculum or, or in a generalized curriculum. That's something that the kids can hash out on their own. Or if they, if it's particularly distressing, then 
even that, like, what do you have? Like, you just have like this queer identity center that they go to and figure out their queer identity. What if they're just exploring? What if they got sexually abused? And so they're confused, right? Like, wh who does that? Um, who's in charge of that? And who do we trust to do that? Um, can we, uh, does the old fashioned, just everything that's not the norm is deviant and should be suppressed or open or ridiculed? Does that help us? Is that tenable anymore because in this day and age you can just be whoever you want to be and be on the internet and find all the friends that you want so to ridicule or to disparage somebody for that is to send them into it even further in a certain respect so mm -hmm. who is capable of who is capable of loving the child best um it would be it would be the children and and maybe uh some sort of spiritual leader or mentor um a teacher Maybe, um, but who's qualified to do that? And can you scale that? Those are really big questions. Okay. So tending towards just nothing at all because the, the top-down um, system is going to be too easily biased and manipulative. Get it out of it. I don't want it. I don't think that teachers should be doing that. No, I don't think that, I don't think that state schools should be doing that. Um, no. Um but I wouldn't mind if they were doing it in a certain direction, but I do mind that they're doing it in the current direction. So if I had complete control, um, if I had complete control, I would probably have conversations with, um, in, in a proper way, um, probably with a woman present, um, with small groups of, uh, of uh, teenagers about this and I would do it in such a way um, that wouldn't be moralistic but would center values of connection and the purpose of sex as a as a vehicle for intimacy and deep connection rather than a, a vehicle of self-expression or, or self-pleasure um, so paired with the knowledge is the if paired with the knowledge of paraphilias uh, is uh, the value of connection and reproduction, um, then I would have a better time with it being uh, in a curriculum. Mm, okay. Um, what should determine when a person can start medically transitioning? Oh. <laughs> you, you have a lot of experience in this area. <laughs> Yeah, um, I I would say it's probably best um, to wait until you're 26. 26. Yeah, I think that's best to wait until I I mean, and 26 to start actually medically transitioning, but um, be in counseling for at least six years, um, like like be in counseling on and off from the time that you uh, hit puberty, uh, if you have a distress about your puberty, to have a long-standing, um, deep um, exploratory therapy going on so you deeply understand yourself and you deeply know yourself and you're deeply at peace with yourself um, as much as you can be before you uh, utilize irreversible um, intrusive medical procedures to find peace and harmony with yourself. Um, and at 26, you have more of a perspective, especially on child, uh, uh, probably a better perspective on if you want to be a mother or a father uh, uh, before you give that up and give that away. 
um, and there has to be a very serious vetting for comorbidities, um, for histories of sexual abuse, um, or other forms of so-called mental illness, um, need to be ruled out and thoroughly, um, supported, um, before, uh, access to cosmetic gender surgeries is, is available. Um, unless, I mean, you want just but if it's not transgender healthcare, then it's just uh, cosmetic healthcare. And like, I don't want people to have tattoos, but they get tattoos. Uh, do, uh, you know, does breast augmentation or, or uh, what's the uh, opposite of augmentation? Reduction. Reduction yeah. Uh, if insofar as that's cosmetic, should that be uh, restrained? Well, how destructive is it? to your ability to lactate and to breastfeed. That's, that's a question that, that is paired with the breasts and what are the, what do breasts symbolize? If you want to chop them off, I would, I would not want to be the surgeon that does that. I think that you're getting a heavy karmeric load of, of liberate, liberating people from their breasts, um, just, uh, without thoroughly, um, understanding the meaning of what they are doing or what that, that procedure is symbolizing for them. And, and if it mm -hmm. is a, if it is an expression of a broken soul, um, or a broken mind or a, a damaged mind, um, then why does the breast need, why is the breast so significant that it needs to be gotten rid of? What is it symbolizing? I, I just like, yeah. And, and I think 26 is uh, important, especially for bottom surgery or genital surgery. That is stuff it, is so it, primitive. I don't even think people, anybody should be doing that, but it's really um, risky. Do you get the number 26? Cause you're thinking like your prefrontal cortex is fully developed at 25. Yeah. Yeah, 25 is, uh, and you, I just think you need a perspective of growing it, going through the process of growing into your own skin. And especially, I would, I would actually really tighten, if I had my way, I'd really, really batten down um, access to gender affirmative care, so-called, until it's not popular anymore. Mm -hmm. Until it's, it, you know, it's safe, rare, and, and uh, effective, right? Um but insofar as it is really popular right now or a trend or like just is captured a lot of people's imaginations and hearts and stuff. Um, there's a lot of people who don't need this and who will regret this or who just don't need it, um, who can be fine in other ways. So, uh, I, 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 I'd, I'd tighten down a lot right now if I had my way. Um, if I had my way, I take five, five years to really tight, really, really tighten down and then, and then go only to, uh, no kids. Um, and then go only to very thoroughly documented cases, like where we have a really solid data set. And then over the course of 10 years, constantly look at the data and then kind of constantly reform to allowance, but trans doesn't end with sex or gender. It's going to be humans, transhumanism. It's mm -hmm. going to be that way. Mm -hmm. Technology is not stopping. And our, our lust for um, Miltonian self-expression and self-glorification is not going to stop, barring some sort of financial disaster or world war. So would you want to put other body modification procedures on that same 26 timeline then i i think so yeah okay like okay. if so i wanted a third thumb uh -huh. like wait i until think i should 26. be old enough yeah wait until i'm 26 for my third thumb 
Um, so, I mean, I guess that begs the question that like, should, should just age of adulthood be pushed to 26? If you're thinking you just, your brain isn't, you're not grown enough to consent or conceptualize these things yet. Should that just be generalized to all fields of life? Well, I think that the driving age of 16 is fine. I think the uh, smoking age, tobacco of 18 is fine. Um, what alcohol is 18 where you're from, right? Where I'm from in Toronto, it's 19, though. 19, okay. It's, it's 18. It's, yeah, it's tw oh, yeah, Winnipeg. Um, it's 21 where I am. Um, I mean, why are certain drugs legal and certain drugs illegal? And who decides the line? And is that a wise decision? So should I mean, MDMA <laughs> a and mushrooms and, uh, you know, acid be illegal? Those are body modification. Those are mind altering drugs. So that's a mm -hmm. form of transhumanism, too. Um, I just think that there needs to be more self-awareness of oneself and then certain people, certain avenues of self-expression are um, permanent and some are more dangerous than others. And so the more dangerous, the more permanent, the more care needs to be um, taken with pursuing those. And so the concern that like, well, the, the few trans people that are then eligible for this at 26 are going to be too far gone in their masculinizing puberty. And so they won't yeah. ever actually be able to fully pass as a trans woman. So you're being bigoted for your stance that yeah. you're creating a society that's, where that's a good pass. question. Well, why can't, why can't society adjust to accepting uh, feminine males? I, th I think it can, <laughs> yeah. um, but, but, but it's, I think it's more, I think, I don't even know if it's a question about society being able to adjust. I think it's about the person themselves not being happy with the way that they look. And this notion of, oh, if only I was able to go on puberty blockers and start yeah. HRT when I was 14, 16, then yeah. I would be so much happier in my skin. And so it's not up to you to refuse mm. this. That's um, true. Yeah. 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 I just, yeah. So, I mean, so I, I'm, I'm not in charge and, and I'm not going <laughs> to do that. But, um, my question back to you is that why is your look so important to you? Is, mm. Are you, are you, are you pursuing the deep human life through changing your looks? I mean, it's one thing to maintain your looks. Um, to what degree are your looks important to you? And, um, to what degree is that pathological? Yeah, I guess this goes back to the passing question of, well, my looks are important to me because this is influencing how other people yeah. um, perceive and treat me and, and how I perceive myself. Um, yeah, it's important, yeah. but how important should it be? What does that say about a culture that adulates that? Is that not shallowness? Is there not, uh, are there not mythological um, warnings about narcissists? Yeah, maybe. With some degree of narcissism is good too. You want to care about your appearance it's a little. Oh bit. yeah, oh for sure. Aesthetics for sure. I, are valuable. I shave. I <laughs> do have. I, I don't know what I want my hair to do, but it's doing what it is, and hope it presents okay. <laughs> but I, um, I really do take care with my voice, my presentation of the audio. So that's where. I'm, oh, I see. That's where all that's of your focus lies. My production values. Yeah, rest. Nice. Um. Is it bad to encourage other methods of alleviating dysphoria first before medicalization? You say, is it bad or is it better? Is it bad? Is it bad to... Encourage other methods of alleviating dysphoria? I mean, this, I can assume where your answer is going to go here, but this is just oh, yeah. why I've asked yeah. everyone. Um, well, that, that's the whole like conversion therapy 
pee and cup game that they played, right? Like, oh, conversion therapy is bad. So mm-hmm. don't ever ask a trans identified youth if they have been sexually assaulted and want to flee their body because how horrible it makes them feel and makes them remind them of a persistent trauma that they haven't gotten over. And let's not look at the trauma. Let's look at the gender and affirm it. I think that's terrible disservice to not Mm -hmm. understand or not to provide, facilitate Um, Mm self-understanding to just provide modification, external modification instead of deep internal work. That being said, what are your thoughts on puberty blockers? Puberty blockers. Um, they, uh, there's this, well, okay. There's one thing that I do want to say. People say, um, they say, okay, puberty blockers are Lupron. It's used for other things. It's used for men with prostate cancer. Um, and it's used for castrating sexual offenders. And they, the, some people say that as though in and of itself, like that a medicine is used for another purpose that makes the medicine, that, that associates the medicine only with that purpose. Medicines, different substances are used in different ways. So I don't think that that's like the, the gotcha statement that, that mm-hmm. um, people use it for, but it has been used, or I think it was developed for one purpose. And then off label, I think is the term it was used mm-hmm. to help uh, girls with early onset puberty. And there are certain medical reasons or developmental reasons why you'd want to delay puberty, not just psychological, but to allow the system, other parts of the system to catch up and growth and also to psych and also psychologically to let yourself grow up. But if you stop a kid at 12, if you give them puberty blockers at 12, and I just did an interview with James um, uh, Linehan, who I'll con- connect you. He's a good reference point for this. He is intersex. His pituitary gland did not produce the hormone that he needed to, uh, to follow the developmental male path. So at 16, he was taken aside by a uh, nurse practitioner or somebody who uh, he goes to the doctor for something and, and this nurse or this doctor in residency like asks him to drop his drawers and turns out he's got like underdeveloped genitalia right like his body didn't start puberty so he's 16 his body is still like his legs are long but his torso like he's just malfunction he's just mal developed um but also his mind he was still he didn't understand anything about sex he didn't understand all the different games that men and women play with each other and amongst themselves he was basically he just kept on hanging out with 12 year olds, like he was stunted at that age. Mm -hmm. So, um, we look at, and there's different other arguments about why we would not use puberty blockers. Um, but the puberty is not a disease. It's a, it's a very necessary stage in development. It's where your brain goes through a massive amount of development. It's where you're in, and there's other reasons too, like your bones, like your entire system. It's an, it's an entire system. And to pause it on one thing, to give a child a chance to adapt, the child doesn't have a chance to adapt. They're still stuck in a stage where they're not ready to even understand cognitively what gender is, what sex is, and why they are dysphoric in one way or another. Um, and to what degree is that cultural? To what degree is that family dynamic? To what degree that that's somehow ingrained like a true transness? Um, we don't know, but to stop puberty to watchfully wait to socially transition and then to puberty block 
it inevitably like like nine times out of ten or like it incredibly leads to transition like it really leads to transition so it's not like an either or thing it's like this and 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 so you're already putting on a kid a path of transition we also know that um gender dysphoria is usually solved by puberty in cases where it's not solved by puberty it's solved by by and 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 insofar as it is solved by puberty it tends to be the case that the child is homosexual in one way in either one way or the other or they're just an effeminate um or masculine um man or woman mm-hmm. it's very rare like so so we're stopping so if if pu- if puberty itself solves gender dysphoria, blocking puberty is just taking the reins from nature, and and it doesn't. It's just not a good thing. Plus, the co- child can't consent to that. Plus, we don't really know the long term effects, but we do know that they can't be good because the body is much much more complex than this endocrine system that we don't even understand like even the the top scientists it's too complex we don't even really understand it so it's it's a primitive it it's 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 just it's genitals or it's gender it's genital mutilation of some sort and it's not serving anything other than a cultural phenomena and that cultural phenomena is an inch deep it's not like some deep spiritual phenomena where we're calling like this class of eunuchs that are going to like be our prophets right like which which is kind of crazy but at least that has some like cultural belief into it it's just like this concept of the trans kid which came out of nowhere is not provable and causes people to medically castrate and sterilize an entire generation for the sake of this idea that has no substance to it other than like, this is like the Holy grail of human rights is the trans kid, right? We're saving the kid from puberty. We're saving the kid from maturation. We're saving the kid. It's Peter Pan syndrome. We're saving the kid from actually having to Mm -hmm. develop in the path that they were designed to develop in. So it's Mm -hmm. incredibly hubristic and it's shallow and uh, it's very dangerous. And it's, it's a shame. Um, that I hope people will be held accountable, um, to either with just a tinge of guilt. Um, but barring that there's other ways to stop it from happening, but no, I don't think puberty blockers should be used to, uh, help kids with a bad case of the, I don't want to be me's. Could you see a future where queer spaces as kind of like in something like sports or competitions or in like a gym locker changing room, something like that, you could have a third space that's just for queer people, like a catch-all bucket, um, a co-ed sort of situation to account Uh, for all of these um, exceptional people? Given infinite resources, yes, we can have individual rooms. There's this... uh, gender neutral bathroom in seattle uh airport and Mm -hmm. me and leslie went into it um on our flight and it's just like basically it's a bunch of individual stalls we have that all through canada a a communal sink um and leslie didn't like that at all and then i was Mm -hmm. i thought that was weird it's like if a man goes in and takes a shit then a woman's gonna have to go in there and like and it wasn't well ventilated either you know it's just like there's something that it's disre it's just and this is just 
me and my gendered positivity and like my bias for gender. There's something disrespectful to women to subject them to the, uh, the, the, the bowel movements and urinary habits of men. Like, I think that men and women, they're different in that way. And women should be respected and given their own space. And men can deal with their space in the way that they want to deal with it, which tends to be a lot more efficient. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to be backed up in a woman's line because the women need to sit down and powder their nose and yada, 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 yada. But, like, there's an actual aspect of, of respect. And then there's also a cultural, um, it's an image of a cultural um, value. Do we value, do we think that there are differences here and are these differences valuable? And mm. I think that there are differences and they are valuable beyond just the biological. I think that women need to be respected and men need to be respected too. Um, that's why, you know, when I get in trouble with certain feminists at certain times, and when I point out that feminism led to a lot of this stuff, the de deconstruction of male only spaces led to the deconstruction of female only spaces or it preceded it at least like the destruction of of the Boy Scouts as Boy Scouts, mm -hmm. um, right? Or, um, you know, or, or like men's clubs, you know, because men were making all these deals, women won in on the deals. And so those men's clubs were kind of disrupted and dismantled for the sake of feminism, femi or women who wanted in on that action, but it necessarily changed. It was necessarily, it was, it was disrespectful to men, even if men were being disrespectful with those institutions. So men could be more respectful with those institutions of just male only spaces and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, mm. it's a hard one, but there's a lot there. Oh, that's a, yeah, the interesting point. It's like, um, emphasizing where your societal priorities lie. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to jump ahead to the final little section of questions, which is the most to do with like, kind of the own ideas I've been spinning as I've been doing research for this that I'm kind of wanting to think how might it have value in the Wonderland analysis of this topic. Hmm. Um, the first thing being, we kind of were talking about this at the top, like, um, I feel like there's a through line between what we like the general catch all like LGBTQ plus queer category and yeah. other sorts of sexual paraphilias. That's always kind of a, maybe a contentious question of like, how much should these things be squashed together versus being distinct? Because um, one's more about kink and one isn't. Um, but to me, it seems like there's this through line of like, all of these are strong identity aspects that are rooted in sex on some level of analysis. It's mm. either about your own sexual role or the um, the target of your sexual attraction or your mm. orientation or the nature of the sexual attraction that you want to participate in. But in all of those instances, the sex is playing this really primary um, motive for identity and action. Mm. And that to me seems like maybe it's a fruitful line of thinking, especially then speaking with uh, Phil Illy the other day and his whole argument that like, well, you can actually start making a lot of sense of a lot of like transracial or furry, like other kin, other sorts of dysphoric trans identities that currently aren't accepted in the discourse because it's like, oh, well, that's watering down. Um, like there's something sacred about gender that isn't the same about saying you're transracial. But yeah. uh, Phil kind of points out like actually the motives could be more similar than we're being led to believe when it comes to this sort of like autoerotic um, target misallocation issues and stuff. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, so I guess my curiosity for you is like, in all the conversations you've had, would you say that there is a sexual motive 
in whatever way you want to break that open that's causing people to transition, detransition, etc. Um, I want to broaden the question. Um, mm -hmm. Human beings are biological creatures. We're mammals. Um, and we're animals. Um, we're made out of stuff. Um, we have hungers. Uh, we're, we're hydraulic in a sense. We have desires and satiations. And we go through these processes. And we just kind of ride this machine or like this this organism through our lives this this body that we have um we're also meaning makers and we also are consciousnesses we are there's a there's a human being in, in all of these homo sapiens uh from my point of view and that human being needs attention and wants to give attention and that human being on top of like sexual functions, di digestive functions, health functions, um, wants to love and be loved. Um, sex has consequences, uh, chiefly the chief consequence of sex being reproduction and, and reproduction is tied with creating a new human being and the human beings, uh, human beings are special human beings are kind of divine and, and they need attention they need love and and so the sex that forms a human being um the better the sex the better the human i don't know but i want to think so if if uh if a man and woman come together and through uh loving each other and enjoying each other they produce a baby that baby's born under a good sign um if a, if a man and a woman somehow have a um they're working out something else or there's, they're not really loving each other through the sex, sex act. I, I'm not saying that that child is illegitimate, but, but it's just not a, that child isn't born under a blessing that the, that human being wasn't brought into the world through an act of love. It was brought uh, through the world of act of power or something else or rape or something like that. And the, the child is blameless in that, but it's disrespectful to the child to, to not, put aside or, or to make sex about something greater than my own desires because it leads to somebody else. Um, so, so there, there's the sexual aspect of just an urge, you know, one, one is horny. One, one is, uh, one is, especially as you're younger and male, you tend to be like, just really, you just need to exhaust this pressure. Um, and there are stimuli that you can uh, use to exhaust that pressure. You can have these relationships, um, maybe with, with women where there wasn't a lot of meaning in that relationship, but you're, you're expressing yourself in a way. But I think that that's disrespectful to the woman. It's disrespectful to yourself. Um, if you rely on pornography to exhaust that pressure because you're, you're forestalling or you're short circuiting, uh, something that's meant to, or can be used for connection. Um, so I guess to it go, it all goes back to sex can be something that's meaningless or simply enjoyable, but it can also be so much more. And I think that people consciously or subconsciously tend to err on it, meaning more than less, um, tend to interact with each other sexually in, an, in a meaning container too. And so if sex is to be meaningful, then it needs to have some sort of transcendent value to it. That transcendent value, I think, is best um, expressed 
through the words of uh, connection, intimacy, and then also with reproduction included in that. And if sex has the value of connection and intimacy, then gender identity isn't just about me serving myself. Um, my paraphilias are a break in my connection to connect with other people, my break in my ability to connect with other people. I can't connect with my wife. I can only connect to the pantyhose that she's wearing. Like there's something broken there. And our culture doesn't like to assign or to think about the brokenness, but it's just true. It's just, it's not ideal and it's okay to have ideals. Um, and I don't achieve my ideals. I, I am a sinner too, if you want to go the Christian route. Um, but to, to, to get rid of the f concept of failure or sin or brokenness, um, just to alleviate some discomfort I have with shame, um, is to spiral out of control. We need a North star for sex and gender. That North star should be connection and children. Um, and if, if sex is meant for connection, then gender too is meant for connection. And then it all starts to make sense. And then we can start to have productive conversations about gender stereotypes, not just dismantling, but what do we want a man to act like? What do we want a woman to act like? How can a man act like act in such a way that a woman feels safe? around him, that a woman respects him? How can a woman act in such a way where she's respected and, and adored and adulated beyond just desired by a man? Um, those are behavioral concepts that we have for centuries, for millennia, passed down from, from elders to children. And we've tried to escape from that so that everybody can be free to be themselves, but we're not content with that. And it's leading to a lot of, um, a lot of, uh, a lot of wasted energy and a lot of people n not getting closer to being someone who's close to someone else, right? Like there's a lot of people who are getting lost in themselves um, and use, and sex is, and, and, and I think that because sex has been unmoored from, from that ideal, that that's the downstream effect. I can't remember your question. I hope I made a good. It was, I mean, at this point, they're not really questions. It's more so me just feeding you the amorphous oh, line yeah, of thinking okay. and then you pick yeah. it up. So anywhere you take well, it is well, great. Well, 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 there's well, well, no right or wrong answer. Right um, okay. The next thing is, um, as I've been looking at this, I've kind of intuited that people like, I, I don't love the Blanchardian trans dichotomy because I think the, the way of framing things as like this auto erotic target Mis misallocation is a little bit in the weeds and it's not something it's something that maybe a few people will recognize the and identify with and it can be beneficial for them but there's also a lot of people that it like is supposed to capture but they would not feel represented by that descriptor of their existence mm. um and so in that way it seems like maybe not the most helpful classification system if half the people you're trying to like wrangle into it are insistent that they don't belong there um, but I think what maybe is a more fruitful way of looking at that dichotomy that he came to terms with is that there's kind of, there's definitely a spectrum in terms of, um, I guess I view there as being a correlation between your sexual orientation and the degree to which you have some innate masculinity or femininity. And so if you're a, a, some, a gay guy who's extremely gay or a gay woman who's like extremely like butch in how her essence is then if you couple that with some dysphoria for whatever reason, it's really easy to then develop a, a trans identity. Um, and the, on the inverse side of that, it seems like the more dysphoric you are, the more you have a sense of gender identity um, in any measure. But, but basically mm -hmm. like, 
I guess I, I'm I'm trying to think. I, I'm thinking maybe it helps to think about trans people just on a spectrum from being like, are you, is your innate biology, are you a homosexual, transsexual? And in which case, you probably have more of this uh, baseline femininity if you're talking about like a male to female. On the other side of the spectrum, you could be um, like a heterosexual, transsexual, in which case maybe your motives are slightly more autogynephilic um, in baseline, but like maybe not everyone loves that sort of language or connotations. But then there's also a healthy group that sit in the center where they're bisexual and maybe they've got some of this autogynephilia and some of this more innate um, degree of femininity that they're trying to represent. And maybe that's a helpful way of kind of thinking about different trans identities hmm. um, that also correlates to other aspects of their lived experience or behavior. You're talking mostly about males here. I think that it parses to, I'm just using that because that seems to be the yeah. more default term, but I, I think it, it works for uh, the other direction too, um, because autoantrophilia is also uh, just as prevalent according to Phil. <laughs> so I guess I'm just wondering, how does that sound to you? <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I, I, I've spoken with Blanchard a couple of times and he would, uh, he has his, he, he has a, he would have a way of reframing that. Um, and I could kind of, with the meta attraction I, and stuff, he would want to, he would want more data on it. So if you, if you have a theory, then you can test it with data. His, his typology of the heterosexual transsexual and the autogynophilic transsexual is based on however many thousands of interviews or hundreds of interviews mm -hmm. that he did. Um, so that's just, it's salient in a way um, because, well, I mean, in, in terms of a gay boy, um, they're already kind of feminine. So leaning into that um, probably helps them with, uh, attracting the kind of attention or the kind of man that they want. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of the more stereotypical autogonophile midlife crisis guy, instead of getting a car, he becomes this car. Um, and instead of a car and a, and a bembo, he becomes the car and the bembo um, in a way. Uh, there is a, the heterosexual transsexual has a sexual, uh, he's in a sexual conversation with himself. Um, he's in a conversations with him, with his own femininity. Um, you know, Jung would call, talk about the arc or the anima, right? He, he's, yeah, he's yeah. dealing with his anima. He's going through a phase of dealing with his anima. And I think that transition, physical transition is the materialization of a spiritual process. Now, yeah. some materializations are okay. Um, but if it's not, if it's not treated, if it's treated as an end in itself, there's no end to it because there's no final transition. Like yeah. there's literally no, you, you do your brow, you do your nose, you do your clavicles, you do your, your genitals, you do your chest, you do this and that and this and that and your hair. Blah, blah, blah. So there's no end to it. Unless it means something beyond the marker, the marker in itself just becomes a dead end for one's uh, spiritual development. So the, the, the sexual compulsion, um, is is i don't think it's i don't have like being a man and understanding my own sexuality it's like sexuality is just like this urge there's this urge there's something behind the urge and there's something in front of the urge and it's a circuit and it's 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 connected and then it fizzles out if i were to start to put my desire for females into myself 
um, it would be very dangerous for me. It would make me more and more self-aware, more and more self-concerned, and I would fail in my role as a man of serving those around me. I would take the energy that should, you know, and not to say that I don't spend, waste my time on board games and video games. I, I spend my energy in selfish ways all the time. But I'm trying to, over the course of my life, I'm trying to reform my sexuality so my sexuality serves something, something beyond myself. And in the periods of my life where my sexuality only served myself, I was not a full human being. I was a, I was a partial human being. I wasn't fulfilling myself. Um, I wasn't yeah. achieving fulfillment. I wasn't, I wasn't loved and loving. You know, I was shutting myself off in a certain way, and I think that that was not good for me. I feel like people so, might... So there's the description and then there's the value, and I don't know how to do one without the other. What's the description of value? Well, when you were talking about the classifications of transsexuals and stuff, I'm, I can only think in terms of the value. Like, what do these people want, and are they getting what they want? So the, the classifying right. what kind of transsexual is, is one conversation, but I turned the conversation into it. What do they really desire? What do they really desire? I, my impression is that, like people that have this auto sexual orientation it's they're going to be more to derive more spiritual personal satisfaction from having this turned inwards sexual relationship than you might where where it's like um because it's a fundamentally different orientation in the same way that being a gay man it, it, like if you're saying well if by choosing to sleep with men instead of women you're kind of refusing this this broader spiritual call of like you're not yeah. actually being in service to your masculinity it's like okay well you could you could say that but it's not gonna be very persuasive for the gay guy that's like well i'm just oh, yeah. attracted to men so i, I yeah. want to do this because it's going to be fulfill me on a personal yeah. level yeah 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 well um, i'm not i'm not trying to con uh convince anybody of of anything i just there's uh there's a certain values um, that I hold and that I'm expressing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and they make sense and they align with certain people's values and they don't make sense to others. And, you know, those are all wonderful conversations that I'm absolutely open to having. Yeah. So I guess my central curiosity is like having, just having like, instead of just the, the black and white typology buckets, I just adding a gray bucket in the middle that it kind of says maybe you've got a foot in both of these, which will then also speak to the, the way you're saying the inverse side of like, well, what do you actually want? How much are you going to drive benefit from various treatments, et cetera? It maybe is more helpful getting living, letting wiggle room for the, the bisexual, transsexual to also have mm. maybe a more unique, a, a distinct a set of instances and experiences that's distinct from the previous two because it's this amalgam. Um, and but, and by, but by this is just a description. If somebody if somebody's relying on somebody else to describe their experience, then they're a weak person and need to grow the fuck up, right? I'm sorry to say that, but like you can't to to give somebody wiggle room. Like like they'll take wiggle room if they want to or not. But if they rely on some sort of classification other than justification for very expensive medical care, that's the question. If they don't need really expensive just they don't need justifications for very expensive medical care, then I identify however you want what does it really serve Do, are you is your identity serving humanity or not I mean, like I is that like people... that's that's the question right so if if you want to have this identity that's a bisexual transsexual like like okay but who cares i, I guess the insurance company cares or, or doctors care because of uh, curiosity the typology what does the typology even serve right so if, if we my... adulate typology i think you're putting the cart before the horse I guess my impression is that if you have a strong sense, just in the same way that I'm quite critical of like 
mental illness, mental health, mental illness culture on a broad level of analysis. But I also yeah. do recognize that it can be helpful for someone to have the tool of like, once you have a BPD or an ADHD, whatever diagnosis, then you can be yeah. like, oh, I'm a person that's like this. And that can give you some semblance, some narrative, some map to kind of then chart your path forward, yeah. Um, yeah. which will prove to be more or less helpful depending on the person. But yeah. I guess that's and, my impression yeah. is like, so if you're not using it to anger yourself, but it yeah. can be a guidance. Well, and that's why I keep on the whole conversation. I'm trying to ask, well, what does it even mean? What does it even mean? What is it? What does this, what does this serve? What's the purpose mm -hmm. of this thing? If the purpose of thing is to alleviate distress or to access medical care or to make yourself feel important or to avoid certain traumas um, to deal with certain tra like what does it all mean and and that's a case by case basis so but the typology doesn't serve anything other than trying to describe a phenomena if the typology doesn't suit the phenomena then the typology is inaccurate or or not useful but I don't know why Blanchard thinks it's useful but he thinks that this is useful <laughs> and and the insurance companies thinks it's useful too um, but now the, but the activists don't think it's useful so they want to decimate it and but then what do they have to anchor any of this stuff on now we're seeing the results i'm sorry jane this is a fascinating conversation but i i have to go but this no, truly that was the truly end of the questions. Not, okay i truly don't want to leave because we're having such a great um conversation Aww. so no i appreciate you giving me the time this has definitely been productive for me so um so i'm just going to stop the recording and get off the call but we'll sure, continue yeah. conversation and let me know what you want me to do with the recording sure thing all right. Have a good day. Okay. Yeah, you too. Bye. Bye.